Good to see you. Uh, we are in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Uh, if you have not been here for any of the previous ones, we are going through a book in the Old Testament, which is the story of a man called Daniel. And uh, we are at Daniel chapter 6, which if you ever went to Sunday school, you would know about Daniel and the lion's den. So that's where we're going this morning. So just turn to that while we kind of set things up. Uh, also, just to say really quickly, thank you for praying for the team. Uh, I went to Russia a couple of weeks ago with a team from the King's Arms. Thank you for those of you that prayed. We had an awesome time. I'd love to tell you what happened, but if I did, I'd have to kill you, so I won't. Um, we had a really, really good time. Seriously, God is on the move in that nation, and uh, it was great to just to see what God's doing firsthand. And uh, one of the most profound and scary moments of the whole trip was experiencing a Russian sauna. Now, what happens in a Russian sauna stays in a Russian sauna. But I'll just say this, it takes authenticity to a brand new level. I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you for your prayers, they sustained me. Um, also, we have, a, we have a team from the King's Arms in Scotland this weekend. Uh, we uh, serve a group of churches in Scotland, and uh, Carol actually is preaching this morning in Dundee, so do remember her as I'm praying, um, preaching. Uh, in fact, she told me yesterday a gentleman came up to her that she had prayed for last year when we went and did the same conference. And he came up to me and he said, oh, Carol, do you remember me? You prayed for me last year. And she said, I'm really sorry, I don't remember you. And he said, well, you were talking about how important it is to deal and process with our disappointment when you live with long-term sickness. And Carol had been sharing how she lives with long-term sickness, long-term pain. She's not yet been healed. And a, an important part of keeping your heart healthy is that you deal with process, uh, you deal with the process of disappointment along the journey. And so she'd been sharing a story. He came up afterwards last year and said, I'd love you to pray for me. He said, the thing I love doing most in all the world is walking in the mountains. He said, but I've had to stop completely because I had a hip operation and it's never recovered. I, it's never got back to where it was and I just can't walk up mountains anymore and I'm gutted about it. And so she spent a few moments praying with this gentleman last year. And so yesterday, he came up to her and he said, I've got to tell you what happened since we last prayed. He said, a few weeks after you prayed with me, suddenly I realized all the pain in my hips had completely gone. He said, I, I dealt with my disappointment. And it's like healing just came and I didn't, wasn't even aware of it. And he said, this last year, I have climbed 80 mountains. 80 mountains. It would be a miracle for me to climb two mountains, so 80, that's really going some. So God is on the move. So Daniel chapter 6, uh, we've called this series Exiles and Ambassadors because Daniel was both of those things. He was an exile as a young man, probably a teenager, about 14 years old, taken out of his home uh, town, his home country, and taken into exile into the great and terrible, in some ways, nation, Babylon. And Daniel, for most of the rest of his life, lived in exile, serving various kings and administrations. But he was also, in that moment of being in exile, he had this incredible opportunity to become an ambassador for God. He was a man who lived for God in a foreign land, in a foreign nation, and became this incredible godly influence to those around him. And as we hit chapter 6... 
there is somewhat of a transition in Daniel's life because he up to now has served a king called Nebuchadnezzar who apparently had a very large beard and he was a very great and terrible and wise ruler. But then the nation of Babylon got taken over themselves by the Medes and the Persians. And so at the age of about 62, Daniel finds himself serving under a completely different king, King Darius. And as we hit Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is starting to serve this new leader. Now, just by way of an aside, I don't know if Daniel had access to social media in those days, whether he would have blogged about how much he disliked the new leader. I would suspect he would not have chosen to do that, because in doing so, his influence would have waned rather than increased. At that particular moment, Daniel chose the path of honor, and it actually led to increased influence. That was just for free. Now, what happens with Daniel is that he, because he is handling himself well, he's living faithfully, he's living as a servant in the land, the same favor that rested on him when he served Nebuchadnezzar rests on him now when he serves Darius. And Darius begins to love Daniel and create space for Daniel to serve. He makes him one of the three top administrators in the whole of the nation. Now, of course, often what happens I don't know whether you've noticed this, but when you get influence and promotion and opportunity, it can sometimes provoke jealousy in those around you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your workplace, but this is exactly what happens with Daniel. Those other people who are jostling for power and position and influence begin to get incredibly jealous of Daniel. And so this is what we read in Daniel 6 verse 4. Then the other presidents and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And what I want to talk to you about today is the influence of godly character because Daniel demonstrates to us where true influence really comes in the workplace and in the world. Actually, it doesn't primarily come from your gifts and your talents, although those are important. Primarily, it comes from your character. You will influence those around you by doing what Daniel did, which is to be faithful. To be someone that when others try and investigate you, they cannot find any fault in you. That's what it says of Daniel. Uh, General Schwarzkopf, who is the American commander, the general who led the Gulf War, um, Allied troops in 1990, he led 750,000 Allied troops. This is what he said. Leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character, but if you must be without one, always be without the strategy. Isn't that interesting? Be without the strategy. Why did he say that? Because he understood ultimately it's your character that gives you ground for influence. Because character is what causes people to trust you. Just think about your own life. Think about the people that you really trust. They're people of character. The people that you call in the middle of the night when your dog's sick or something's going pear-shaped or there's something kicking off. The people that you call at those moments generally are people of character. 
They're people who have learned how to love well, who've learned how to listen, who are reliable, who are trustworthy, who are faithful, who will go the extra mile, who won't just pay lip service, but you know they're really interested. They'll show up when they say they'll show up. They haven't got a quick temper. They're, they're loyal. They stick with you. Those are the kind of people that we trust, aren't they? And that's why character is of such major importance when we're thinking about how do I influence the world around me? Well, look after this. When God was choosing a king in Israel, the first king, he said to Samuel, listen, I don't look at people the way other people look at them. Man looks at outward appearance, but I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at the heart because God values godly character. That's how influence works. And for Daniel, there are no flies on him. (laughs) They try and find some reason to accuse him, but nothing sticks because he's living this life of integrity and godly character. And so they have to devise some kind of scheme to kill him off. And so the other presidents and administrators and rulers go to King Darius and they say, King Darius, you are the greatest of all leaders. Issue a decree that if anyone prays to anyone except you, then they should be thrown to the lions. And Darius thinks to himself, This is an excellent idea. I am pretty great. And so he signs the decree that in all the nations that he rules, if anyone prays to any other god except to Darius the Great, then he'll be thrown to the lions. And he signs the decree. And this sets the backdrop for where we see Daniel's character really coming to the fore. And we're going to look at maybe one issue this morning. So here we go. The first way that Daniel's character really shines through are the decisions that he makes in private. The things that go on behind closed doors. Because here is Daniel's response when he listens to the decree. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men went to, as a group, found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Daniel was the same man in public as he was in private. There was no division. What you saw of Daniel is what you got. Whether you caught him on a, on a public day when he was you know, in authority and issuing the, the administration that he had, or whether he was in private at home, Daniel was a man of integrity, and the private choices he made both molded his character, but also showed you the kind of man he was. The basketball coach, John Wooden, he said this, Be more concerned with your character than your reputation, because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. The true test of a man's character is what he does when no one else is watching. If you want to take a little litmus test of your character and your maturity, what do you do when nobody else is watching? D.L. Moody said, a man is who he is when he's in the dark. (laughs) You are who you are when no one else is watching. And for Daniel, his immediate response to this pressure to to, to bow to the king is, I'm just going to do what I've always done. I'm going to go in private. I'm going to pray and I'm going to give thanks to God. He doesn't change. He just stays the same. He's not moved. 
And really, it's these moments, these private choices that forms godly character in us and gives us the potential for greater influence. There's a, quite a well-known story of a, a Christian leader from this country, and he told the story of once when he was in a foreign nation and he'd been doing a conference. He was very, very tired. It had been a very grueling trip. And the whole time that he'd been doing this particular conference and speaking a lot, this young kind of leader from the, the host nation had been shadowing him and he'd be kind of coaching him and teaching and training him as he'd been with him. And the end of the trip came, he was completely tired, he got dropped off at the airport, he was on his own, and he does what you do when you go to the airport. You kind of, you browse the duty-free and you go to the bookshop and you grab a muffin and a latte. You, you kind of wander around, you try and kill some time. And he was just killing some time at the airport, he found himself in the bookshop extremely tired, and he found himself in front of the kind of magazines and the books, and his eye was drawn to the kind of explicit romance section. And he, he said, in that moment, I had this flash thought come through my head. You're in another nation. You're on your own. You're very tired. No one will ever know if you buy one of those and read it. After all, you've been working so hard all week. What's, what's the harm and a little bit of pointless escapism? And he said, I suddenly had all these thoughts bombarding my mind. And he said, I had this kind of impulse to reach out and take one. He said, but suddenly I stopped myself. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, exactly at that moment that I made the decision, in the bookshop, there was a tap on my shoulder. I turned around, and it was the young man who had been shadowing me all week. And in his hand, he had, a, he had a box of books. He said, Pastor, you left your books at the conference. I thought I'd bring them to you at the airport. And he said he had an epiphany in that moment. He said, I suddenly realized that I need to live my life as if someone is always watching. Because the reality is someone is always watching. And those private moments, those private decisions, really is what grows character in us and also reveals character. His eyes are always on us. And I think there are two private decisions particularly that are important that Daniel demonstrates. The first is the private choice to pursue God. That was Daniel's first priority. In private, I'm going to seek God's face. I'm going to get alone with my father. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to prioritize that when no one else is looking. I wonder what would someone else see when they look at your prayer life? What would they see? Carol once was just having a prayer time uh, in our bedroom. She was kind of had her headphones in. She was just worshiping. She was doing a bit of dancing. She was just enjoying God. She was standing at our window, just praying, arms raised, you know, just in rapture. She opened her eyes, and there was the window cleaner. <laughs> Neither of them were quite sure what to do at that moment, so Carol quickly dived for cover. <laughs> What would someone see if they sat in on your prayer life? <laughs> it, happened, it happened to me once as well. I was in my bedroom. I had the guitar out. I was just kind of worshiping. It was just one of those beautiful kind of times, really enjoying God. And, you know, I was starting to cry and weep and pour out my heart to God and tell him my inmost secrets and thoughts and desires and just singing away and snot everywhere. And I opened my eyes, and there's my friend sitting in the corner. <laughs> And so I quickly put the guitar down. I'm like, what are you doing here? He said, oh, yeah. He said, oh, I've been here for about half an hour. I've heard everything. I was like, oh, no. 
That is so embarrassing. <laughs> but what would someone see? You know, do you have a private life with God? You know, is there a place in your life that, in fact, I would suggest that the, the most important place in your life where you draw aside to be with him, where no one else is watching to reward you, no one else is there to give you a promotion, no one else is there to give you a pat on the shoulder, but you're doing it just because you want to be with the Father. <laughs> How's that going for you? John Wimber, who is the, the founder of the Vineyard Movement of Churches, he uh, told this story of how often young men would come up to him and ask him to disciple them. And he was a, you know, he was a brilliant, brilliant leader. And often he would get people coming to him and say, John, will you spend some time with me? Will you coach me? Will you disciple me? And he would always say, no, but come back in six months and ask me again. And he said, but in that six months, I want you to do two things. Firstly, I want you to help put chairs out for six months. And he said, secondly, I want you to pray every day. He said, then come back and ask me again. And he said, within a few months, he could tell which men had taken him up on his challenge because he could always, already see the fruit in their lives. And he said, often those would, some would never come back to him, but many times, often they would. But he could tell the ones who would taken him up on his challenge because the reality is what you do in secret attracts God's reward. So what Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door where nobody else sees, and your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. There is a connection between your secret prayer life and the Father's ability to reward you. How do those rewards come? Often they come in the form of Developed intimacy with him, closeness with the Father, hearing his voice more clearly, having opportunity, growing influence, growing maturity, feeding on him, knowing his strengthening power in your life. These are the rewards that come for those that say, I'm going to close the door and be with my Father when nobody else sees, but he does. You can tell people that spend time with Jesus on their own and those that don't by the fruit in their life. Another pastor called D. Duke, he uh, is an American man I, I once heard preach on prayer, and he led a church of 2,000 people in a city of 2,000 people, so I thought I'd better listen to him. <laughs> and his whole story really was about how prayer is the answer for everything. He said, listen, there's a very simple equation, little prayer equals little blessing, much prayer equals much blessing. He said, that's the motto that we've lived by, and God's blessed our church. I was like, that's kind of hard to argue with, isn't it? And he said, all the most important things that we do in life, we sign for. When you get married, you sign. When you buy a house, you sign. When you get a job, you sign. You make a contract, you make a binding agreement. And he said, in our church, we decided we're going to make binding agreements about spending time with the Father. He said, I got to a place in my life where I realized my prayer life was down the toilet. And he said, so I wrote a plan for my life, and then I gave it away to seven friends. And I said, this is, what I, this is my heart's desire. I really want to get with the Father. Please, will you help me? And he said, some of those simple decisions have totally transformed our church. And he said, one example of how we use prayer. He said, when people come to me in marriage crisis, asking me to help them, I will always say no. <laughs> I say, come back in two weeks. I won't spend time with you yet. But in the next two weeks, I want you to do one simple thing. I want you to pray together every day for one minute. 
If your problems still haven't sorted themselves out after two weeks of doing that, you can come back and see me. He said 90% of married couples never come back because their issues get resolved because they start to connect together in prayer. The Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. See, I love tools like counseling and healing prayer and sozo and body ministry and loving one another. I love all that. We need all of that. I love that. But if you really want to change, there is nothing that will change your life quite so much as developing a private prayer life where you spend time alone with the Father. Nothing will change you as much as that. Seriously, nothing will change you. If you make that decision, nothing will change you as much as that. And for some of us, we can still be seeking answers in other people that you can only find in God. And the point of things like healing prayer is to point you to Jesus. That's the point of those things. It's to say, get connected to him. He is the fountain of all life. He's the answer. Go into your room, close the door. Make an appointment with God in secret and keep it. It's amazing that we will be on time for work because of money. Yet so often we can't keep an appointment with God out of love. And so many times in my life I've had to, again, just repent. Say, Father, I'm sorry for letting the most important thing drift. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I wonder for some of you this morning if there's a moment of coming back A moment of saying, Father, I want to get alone in secret with you again. Because this is the issue of character formation. And the next private decision that we see is this, is Daniel's private decision to pursue holiness. Because in this moment where pursuing what what is easy would have been, in some ways, the most logical, pragmatic thing to do. How can I most easily get out of this situation well, I just won't pray today. That'll get me out of it. And then I can just carry on kind of influencing under the surface. You know, I'll just kind of shift to the public mood. That's not what Daniel does. He passes over the decision for what is easy, and he goes for the decision that is right. It's getting really quiet in here. (laughs) He decides to pursue what was right. And again, it's those character decision moments, those moments where you pass over the the easy decision, the quick win, but actually you know it's not right. It's those moments where character gets formed but also revealed. A friend of mine was telling me this story this week of a a guy in his church who is the youngest partner in a London City law firm, in his particular law firm. And he's got, you know, real quick kind of influence and favor in his workplace. And... He has an office right adjacent to his boss. And a few weeks ago, his boss came into his office and he said, listen, do you mind if I just ask you a question? I've got a bit of a dilemma. He said, in our company right now, we've got these two options. He said, option A is that we cut some legal corners but make a shed load of money for our company. He said, or option B is that we do the right thing but we don't make any money at all. What do you think we should do? (laughs) That's a kind of a Daniel moment. And so this young guy said to his boss, he said, there is no question about which option we should go for. We've got to go for option B. 
How will people ever trust us if they see that we lack credibility? We've got to go for option B, and we've got to trust that that's the right decision for this company in the long run. We've got to do that. And his boss said, I completely agree with you. Thank you so much. And suddenly, this young man who's in this place of real influence in his workplace, because of a character decision, suddenly he's got increased influence. I tell you, so much of life is about those moments where we decide to choose what's right, not what's easy. And that we trust that God's going to be with us in those moments. And character is forged in these moments of delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is saying no now because we believe a better yes is up ahead. That's delayed gratification. I I, I believe, people tell me, that's the whole principle of exercise. (laughs) Delayed gratification. Okay, you, you go through the pain barrier now because there's a reward later on. Apparently, that's how it works. And Bill Hybels says this, Delaying gratification is a process of scheduling the pain and pleasure of life in such a way as to enhance the pleasure by meeting and experiencing the pain first and getting it over with. That's delayed gratification. Which, of course, is so in contrast with the culture in which we live. We live in the culture of instant gratification. If I want it, I want it now. But let me suggest to you that that does not develop godly character. Godly character only gets forged in those moments where we could go for easy option A, but we choose option B out of reverence for God, and we believe in the long run God will bless those decisions, and that by saying no now, there's a better yes to come. It's delayed gratification. It's the only way that character grows, relationally, physically, financially, spiritually, you name it. I would say in particular, it's vital that we learn the art of delayed gratification in the way that we parent and coach our children. Just wave at me if you are a parent. Welcome. (laughs) I was was remembering this moment when I was growing up. I must have been about nine years old at the time. And uh, the coolest boy in the whole of the Baptist church, John Barker, bought himself a two-tone grey Nike fleece jacket. And I remember it was possibly, it probably still is, the coolest thing that I'd ever seen in my whole life. And I instantly wanted one. Now, my birthday was coming up in a few months' time, and for, for weeks and months, I nagged my parents, please, can I have a Nike fleece jacket? And I used to get magazines and look at them. You know, remember the catalogues that you used to get? I used to find it in the catalogue, and I cut it out, and I showed it to them. I really, really wanted that two-tone Nike jacket with the fleece lining, okay? That bit was very important. And they just kept saying no. (laughs) And I tried every kind of child trick in the book. I tried moodiness. I tried tantrums. I tried sulking. You know, I I tried niceness. I tried everything. But still, they said no. And when it came to my birthday, I went into my birthday with great anticipation, thinking... I'm bound to get the Nike jacket with the fleece lining. But I didn't. I got a stereo instead. I remember it vividly. And it's funny. As I was preparing this list, I just felt God remind me of that story. Because here's the thing. If parents don't teach little Phil or little Johnny or little Sarah the art of delayed gratification, you will be raising children that believe that they are entitled consumers to have exactly what they want when they want it, irrespective of the cost to other people. For some of you, it's very important that you learn to have people say no to you. 
It is. Sometimes the best answer to some of your prayers is God saying, no. No, you can't have that. <laughs> you ever prayed for things and then years later you think, praise God that you said no. <laughs> praise God you said no to me. You knew so much better than I did. Thank you, God. <laughs> no is sometimes the best answer. Because if you don't do that, you are already creating a character that wants instant gratification later in life. This is particularly important when it comes to sexual ethics. Do you know the training ground for sexual morality, fidelity in marriage between one man and one woman, that training ground starts when you have little Johnny or little Sarah when they are three, four, five years old and you are passing the toy store or the sweet store and they say, Mommy, can I have some sweets? No, sorry, you can't. I really want... No, I'm sorry, you can't. That's where sexual ethics get formed, right there. Otherwise, you're teaching your children instant gratification. Of course you can have it. Of course, of course you can. Sometimes as a parent, it's as important to say no as it is to say yes. And in the area of sexuality, it's massively, massively important. Those little decisions that we make in private about... What, what we watch on TV. You know, I remember my, my parents, some of this is really going to age me. Anyone remember Rent-A-Ghost? Oh, I was never allowed to watch Rent-A-Ghost as a kid. Scooby-Doo. Nope, never allowed to watch Scooby-Doo as a kid. He-Man, Masters of the Universe. Nope, never allowed. Never allowed. Grange Hill. Nope, never allowed. I have a whole list of taboo TV shows that I've now watched, of course, but... At the time, at the time, they said no to. And you know, actually, I'm very glad they did. Because actually, in those moments, you are helping a godly character to form, which, which learns, I'm saying no now for a better yes later on. I'm sowing something that I'm going to reap later. You see, famine is always the result of misused wealth. You get famine when you choose not to sow appropriately in the season that you're in so that you can reap later on. How's that going for you? And you know, I realize that in this room, particularly in the area of kind of sexual purity and sexuality, there'll be a whole bunch of different stories in this room. And, you know, the beauty of God is that he can turn every thing that we wished had never happened or choices we wish we'd never made, he can restore all of that. He is such a gracious and redeeming father. He takes that stuff and he, when we walk with him in it, he turns it into something. He, he turns it somehow for our advantage. But you know, alongside the message of God is able to restore you if you sexually you've messed up and you've crossed boundaries. He's able to forgive and show you mercy. Do you know, alongside that part of the story is also this message. I am praying that God raises up a generation who can celebrate keeping their virginity right until their marriage day. We need both parts of the message. Some, you've got to know why you're saying no to something. I'm saying no now for a better yes later on. I'm saying no to sexual temptation now for a better yes on my wedding day. It's so important. Chris Valentin says this. He says, anyone can give away something expensive, but only those who understand sacrifice can give away something valuable. 
You have a sex drive before you should have sex so that you give your lover something that you had to fight to keep. But the war isn't over after your honeymoon night. No way. The strategy changes, but the battle remains as you fight to keep your affections unpolluted and unspoiled for the woman or man of your dreams in the midst of the cesspool of a dark world that has exchanged love for lust. Sex was God's idea, and it's really good. The goal is not to get rid of your sex drive, but that you manage your appetites. It is important that you rule your passions and not the other way around. And I just want to encourage you in the area of sexual purity. If you've crossed the line, repent, ask God for forgiveness. He will restore you. He will come to you like a flood in his mercy, and he'll draw alongside you and help you. But if you are still in the place where you are holding on and you're saying no now for a better yes, keep going. Keep going. There is a better reward ahead. You need to trust your father. He knows exactly what he's doing. If he's saying no in this season, he knows exactly why. He knows that there is a reward ahead that you will reap in the appropriate time. So hold on. Trust your father. He's good. He's for you. He's with you. And if you want to develop a godly character, whether it's in the area of sex or or money or, or, or serving or family, learn the art of delayed gratification. That's the way character gets formed. And ultimately, it's godly character that will cause you to be the loudest influence in your sphere, in this world. Daniel was such a man. When they tried to find fault in him, they couldn't because he was faithful in all that he did. And we haven't even got to the lions part yet. I even had a video of lions to show you. We'll wait for next week. Guys, why don't we stand and let's pray.